morning, church. Man, so glad to be uh, here in the house today. I want to just start by thanking uh, our, our worship team for leading us in worship this morning. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Man, what a blessing it is to be here. I don't know about you, some Sundays I really don't want to he even hear me preach. I just want to keep, keep singing and, and let the songs continue to rise. I'm thankful for, for Zach and Chad, for Riley, for Sarah, for DMAC, for Chris, just for the way they lead us every week. And it's such a blessing. So glad to be here in the house with all of you today. So glad. I know many are joining us for church online. So thank you for, for being with us as well. It's still, there's still this sense of it's a new year. And with a new year, there's a new beginning and a new opportunity to to begin again, and, and I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm always grateful for that, both individually but also for us collectively as a church to have a chance to, to start over a little bit and to remember who we are and why we are here. And as we kind of go through this month of January, this, this first month of the year together of 2022, we want to go back to something that we believe is true, something we're striving for, aspiring towards, if you will. And I want to encourage you this morning, whether you're watching online or, or obviously all of us who are here in the room, to say these words. We're going to put these words on the screen together, this vision for our church. And I want to encourage you to say this out loud, read these words with me out loud together this morning. Uh, let's do this. We are the body of Christ called to live different, to invite people to come together, invest in each other, and engage in what matters most because of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. For some of you, you've heard those words before. For some of you, that, this may be the first time you've heard those words. But I love this vision for our church. I, I love that we're striving to be a, a church that, that truly um, wants to engage in as many ways as possible right here in our community and around the world in those things that are making a, a tangible, literal difference in the lives of real people. I'm so thankful for the way this church over and over again, we've shared stories before and we'll share them again, of how you're making a difference in the lives of others through, through your, your, your gifts, your talents, your time, the donations, the, the funds you give, uh, so many ways. I'm so thankful we're a part of a church that cares deeply about being a church, about, about truly uh, taking time to, to spend time together, to, to love each other, care for each other, show up for one another, take food to each other when we're sick, uh, to, to lean in and see how each other is doing. This is the stuff, right, that makes a church a church. It's not just showing up here for one hour on a Sunday. It's, it's doing life together. And this is something, quite honestly, Riverside, I think you guys are very, very good at. You're very good at loving each other and taking care of each other. And it's making those investments in each other's lives, in, our, in the lives of our children, those e eternal investments that really, it's, it's life-changing stuff. And it's being a part of a church that really wants to, to in this world, like right here, right now, in this day and time, to be, to be a place that invites people, to be a people that invites people to come together. Especially living in a world, and I'm not breaking news here when I say this, that it, I don't know if this is true, but it feels this way. It feels like we're living in a world that maybe has, has never been more divided than it is right now. There is a spirit of division in this world. There is a spirit of division in the church. And to be a part of a church that says we want to push back against that spirit of division in the world, in the church, and, and we want to be a place, we want to be a people that invites people to come together. And not just come together for the sake of coming together, but coming together to do life together, to do life differently, to live into this life that Jesus is calling us to live because we believe that what Jesus said is true, that he came to offer a different kind of life. He came to offer, and he came to invite all of us 
into this abundant, real, overflowing life. We believe that's true, and we want to live into this abundant life that Jesus offers. Uh, William Wallace once said these words. He said, every man dies, but not every man really lives. Okay, truthfully, I don't know if William Wallace said those words, but in the movie Braveheart, Mel Gibson, who played William Wallace, said those words, and it was an incredibly cool moment when he did, right? He said those words right before he was led away to be executed. Uh, If you know much about William Wallace, the year is 1298. He's leading uh, a revolution uh, with his countrymen in Scotland trying to push back against uh, English occupation. And he's successful for several years until 1298 when he's defeated at the Battle of Falkirk. And then for the next seven years, he's on the run as a fugitive. And um, that happens until he's betrayed and then he's captured. And in 1305, he's, he's in a jail cell there in London, and he could pledge his allegiance to a, form, uh, to a foreign king. And if he did that, he might could spare his life. Probably not, but maybe. But he refuses to do that because he had made a decision that he would rather die than pledge his allegiance to another king. He believed that every man dies, but not every man really lives. And we're living in a world right now where where you know this as well as I do, we are just reminded in profound ways that everybody dies. If you just look back over the past year and you think about all the natural disasters that happened, you know, I mean, we had just recently the tornadoes in Kentucky, right? We had, um, you know, that cyclone that hit in India. We had a hurricane I that hit the Gulf Coast. We had uh, the earthquake in Haiti. I mean, it, you could just go on and on and on with all the the, the instances, the occurrences of these natural disasters where there was loss of human life sometime in a massive way. We live in a world where we, we're still struggling with sicknesses and diseases. And, and right now, COVID-19 is on everyone's mind, but we're still dealing with things like cancer and heart attack and you know, stroke. And, and all the list, again, goes on and on and on. We live in a world where, where it's not breaking news when you see another headline where there's been another shooting at a school or a church or some other kind of gathering. And, and we, we still see headlines of people losing their lives at the, the hands of racial injustice. And, and every time we see these headlines, every time we hear these stories and, and, and we see what's happening and, and, and we're, we're, we're brokenhearted over the senseless loss of human life and we're reminded in profound and sometimes devastating ways that everybody dies. But, but how many people know what it is to really live. There's a story about a man who came to Jesus one night because he had, he had questions. He had questions and he thought that maybe just maybe Jesus would have the answer to his questions. He came to Jesus because, well, there was just something different about Jesus, right? I mean, the way he taught was different. The way, the way um, you know, he lived was different. The people he spent time with were different. And he came to Jesus in the middle, in the middle of the night because, because he had questions. What he wanted to know was, he wanted to know what it meant to really live. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, I want to, I want to invite you to open up to John chapter 3. The author of John tells a story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't. But, but John thought this moment, this encounter with Jesus was so important that he included it in his gospel. And we learn about this, this individual that came to Jesus only 
in the Gospel of John. And so in John chapter 3, verse 1, the story begins this way. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Now, if you grew up in church or around church, or if you've heard much preaching or teaching about the Bible, then when you hear the word Pharisee, you probably get a, a pretty quick trigger for a negative connotation, right? Pharisees, they, they get a bad rap. Um, and that's for a lot of, of reasons. But the truth is, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, the truth is, they really did love God. They loved God, and they loved the Word of God, the Torah. This was the Word of God for the people of God. And they, they loved it so much, they devoted their lives to the study of Torah, to, to understanding it, to, to teaching it to others, and to the very best of their ability, living their lives by, by the letter of the law, trying to, to live exactly as they thought God had instructed them to live. This was, this was the, the, the word of God for the people of God, the law of God given to the people, and, and they tried as hard as they could. But in doing so, what they proved was the point that, 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 that living life by the letter of any law does not lead to life. They had taken the word of God, given to the people of God at Mount Sinai. This is right after they had been delivered out of Egyptian bondage. And they're on the way to the promised land. They meet God at this mountain, Mount Sinai. And God, in a, in a very historic way, gives the people the word of God, the Ten Commandments. You remember this story, right? This is the word of God for the people of God. And it was intended, it was intended to lead them into a covenant relationship with God. It was intended to set them apart as the chosen people of God, and it did. But it also led them, like it still leads a lot of people in the church today, into this legalistic pursuit of doing everything right so that they could somehow please God and maybe just maybe get to heaven. You could see this over and over again in their story, how they tried to parse out every word and every law and every rule and everything you had to do and do it just right. This legalistic pursuit consumed them. But then there were people, men and women, just like Nicodemus, who thought, is this the life that God invited us into? Or is the covenant life something different? And Nicodemus thought that maybe this man Jesus knew something he didn't know about the covenant life that God came to offer. And so in verse 2, after dark one evening, he, Nicodemus, came to speak with Jesus. This is one rabbi coming to talk to another rabbi at night, this Pharisee approaching Jesus at night. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Now, I don't know if you underline in your Bibles, but you may want to underline or highlight that sentence. This is, this is pretty important. Nicodemus, this Pharisee, says to Jesus, this is a group that largely opposes Jesus throughout the Gospel of John, throughout all the Gospels. This man says to Jesus, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. How did Nicodemus know? Why did Nicodemus believe that God had sent Jesus to teach them because of the evidence in his life. Nicodemus saw the evidence of the power of the love of God at work in the life of Jesus, and that led him to the conclusion that whoever this man is, who wherever he came from, he came 
from God. I can see the evidence. I can see what he's doing. I can hear the way he's teaching. I see who he's spending time with and I see the change in their life. There's something about Jesus that's different. And based on the evidence, I've come to the conclusion that he knows something about the life that God is inviting us to live. There's something different about this man, Jesus. And I think this is important because, you know, the reality is we still live in a world where there are a lot of people who have a lot of questions. Maybe this is you. Maybe this is somebody you know. You've got questions about Jesus. And the interesting thing is it seems like people who have questions, they're looking for other people to go to who may not have all the answers, but in their life they see the evidence of the power of the love of God at work in their life. And you may say, well, that's amazing and that sounds great, but I can't do miracles. I can't make the lame walk. I can't make the blind see. And I get that. But if you think about the miracles of Jesus, every miracle he ever performed, every one, you could say it was a moment in time where Jesus took time to love an individual in an extravagant way. And I don't know about you, but that seems like something we can do. We have the power. We have the ability. We have the opportunity to love people right here, right now, today in extravagant ways. And whenever we do, whenever people see the evidence of the power of the love of God at work in our life, that opens the door for them to come to us with our questions. This is what happened on this particular night when Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He sees the power of the love of God at work in his life. And he thinks maybe Jesus has some answers to the questions I'm asking. Jesus knows he has questions. He, he jumps ahead of Nicodemus in the conversation. Verse 3, he says, Nicodemus, I want to tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, the only way to live the life you want to live, the, the only way to live the life that God intends for you to live, the only way for you to live the life that you see me living is to be born again. It only comes about when your life is filled by the Holy Spirit. This is the only way to experience real life, spiritual life. It's only, it only happens when you're born again. So here's the, here's the idea. Your first birth, your physical birth, it gives birth to physical life. But your second birth, this being born again that Jesus is talking about, that leads to spiritual life. And Nicodemus, just like a lot of people today, they hear this, but he was completely confused. And so he asked Jesus, he says, what do you mean? What are you, what are you talking about, Jesus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Okay, quick side note, going back into your mother's womb to be born again, that's not what Jesus is talking about, so you can be relieved. I'm sure when Jesus heard Nicodemus say that, he kind of smiled and chuckled like, no, no, no. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. Nicodemus is talking to Jesus, trying to get his, 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 his heart and mind around this idea of the life that Jesus is living, the life that he's teaching about, the life that he sees in Jesus. But he's completely confused about this notion of what does it mean to be born again? And don't miss this. Nicodemus, he's a smart guy. You don't get to where Nicodemus is without being intellectually smart. He is, he is respected among his peers. He is a leader among leaders. He is respected in his community. He's looked up to by many. He is a teacher. He is someone that, that people, when they look at him, they know that this guy, he's, he's smart. He's successful. He has it all together. But he's coming to Jesus with his questions, and Jesus talks about being born again, and he's completely confused. 
And again, I think that's important to kind of highlight because my guess is there are people in the room today, there may be people watching online today, and you're smart, you're successful, uh, you're, you're a leader in your community, you're respected. But when it comes to this idea of spiritual life and being born again and, and, and this practice of baptism that we practice here in this church on a regular basis, you're like, what is that all about? I don't understand. I don't get it. Nicodemus is smart, respected, successful. He doesn't understand what's going on here and what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus keeps, keeps talking, but I, I don't want you to miss this either. The story doesn't end, by the way, just so you know, not to spoil it, but the story doesn't end with Nicodemus' baptism. Jesus doesn't go on to give him a five or six you know, step plan to find salvation. Jesus has invited Nicodemus into a conversation where he's going to keep talking to him about what this spiritual life looks like that his soul is longing for. In verse 5, he says, Jesus says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God. This life that you want to live, nobody can experience it. Nobody can encounter it without being born of water and the spirit. He says, you see, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. In other words, everybody dies, but not everybody lives. Not really. Not this abundant life, not this real life, not this life overflowing, not this spiritual life that Jesus is inviting Nicodemus into and that he's inviting all of us into. And so I think it kind of sets up the question for us today, especially as we kind of begin this new year together. Are you, are you searching for this kind of life? Do you have questions? Are you wondering like Nicodemus was wondering you, 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 you read about Jesus, you understand a little bit about what he's talking about, you, you, you read about the miracles, you, and, and you just got questions about the kind of life that Jesus offers. You haven't stepped into this life yet, but you've got questions about it. Or do you know someone who has questions? Do you know someone who maybe right now is asking these kinds of questions and they're wondering, maybe they're looking for someone like you who, who there's evidence in your life of, of the power of the love of God at work in your life and maybe just maybe God's priming the way for them to come to you with their questions because they've got questions and they need someone to talk to. And you may not have all the answers, but you know somebody who has questions. Questions about what it means to really live. And what would happen if you extended them an invitation? Um, in 2016, there was a woman by the name of Wanda Dent. She lives in Mesa, Arizona. And she was getting ready for Thanksgiving dinner at her house, and she wanted to make sure that her grandson was going to be able to come to Thanksgiving dinner. So she did what, what any grandmother would do in the situation. She sent a text message to her grandson, making sure that, that he was going to be there. At least that's what she thought she did. What she actually did was she sent that, that, that message to a wrong number. She sent that invitation to a complete stranger. Uh, the guy that received the message was a guy by the name of Jamal Hinton. And as soon as he got the te text message, he responded and said, hey, um, I'm not your grandson. This is the wrong number. Just want to let you know. And after clearing up the confusion, he asked her this question, uh, would, it, would it still be okay if I came to Thanksgiving dinner at your house? And do you know what uh, Miss Wanda Dinch said? She said, uh, of course, that's what grandmothers do. We feed everyone. <laughs> And would you know that since 2016, every year, even up to this past year, Jamal Hinton has spent Thanksgiving dinner at Wanda Dinch's house. How awesome is that? 
um, you never know what hangs in the balance of an invitation. I'm not suggesting we all start texting random numbers today, um, inviting people to church. You can do that if you want to. What I am suggesting is that, you know, sometimes I think we forget how many people living around us are just longing to be a part of a family, you know? Sometimes I think we take for granted what we have here at this church. What a blessing it is. How, how, how grateful I am, and I know many of you are, to belong to a, a real faith family. And who could we, who should we invite to come and to be a part of what God is doing here in the place, in this place? You see, I, I, I think sometimes we just forget your invitation it may be what someone is waiting on to go further in their exploration of Jesus. You, you probably don't think about this, but, but your invitation, it may be what someone else is waiting on to take that next step in their journey of faith, to go further in their exploration of Jesus. I mean, here at Riverside, I think we're blessed with an incredible faith family and, and somewhere along the way somebody probably invited you to follow Jesus somebody and probably invited you, you to come to church here but you see you were never invited just to be invited you were invited to be an inviter we're all called to take that next step it's it's not like okay we've made it it's okay we're here who else can we invite to come and experience this this incredible life that Jesus has to offer I just think about this year, as we begin this year, what would it look like for you to think seriously about who is the Nicodemus in your life? Is there one person that you know that you would love to see who has not yet taken this next step in their journey of faith? Take the next step to be born again, to experience the spiritual life that Jesus has to offer. Is there someone that you could, a Nicodemus in your life, you could identify and you could write down their name and you could pray for them each day? Who is that? Is, it a, is, is there a friend? Is there a coworker? Is there a neighbor? Is there, is there somebody that you know that for whatever reason, maybe right now they're far from God, but you want to, maybe God right now is even in this moment is putting them on your heart and saying, yes, pray for that person. Parents, maybe it's one of your children, but there's somebody in your life and you would love nothing more than to see them take that next step of faith. I don't know if you thought about this. This is the way my mind works. We're 98 days away from Easter Sunday. Now, we haven't done this the last couple of years because of COVID, but I'm looking forward to Easter Sunday this year because we're going to bring back Baptism Sunday. So here's what I want you to do. Just for a moment, in your own heart, in your own mind, think about one person you would love to see be born again, someone that you would love to see be baptized into Jesus Christ. Imagine them standing in this water behind me in 98 days and being buried with Christ and resurrected to new life. How does that make you feel? Sometimes I think we forget. You know, we think, oh, evangelism isn't my gift. I'm not good at having these kinds of conversations. Uh, that's, that's somebody else's job. That's Corey's job. He's the preacher. That's, you know, man, this is, this is everyone's job. 
And let me take the pressure off. Because I think sometimes we feel this, this pressure on us that we've got to convert people or we've got to save people or whatever. And that, we've misunderstood that, right? That's not our job. Our job is to pray. Our job is to invite. Our job is to share. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict and convert. That's what God does, not us, right? We plant, we water, God gives the increase. What you do when you pray for somebody, what you do when you invite someone to coffee or to lunch or to dinner or to church or to conversation is you're just checking to see if the Holy Spirit is presently working in their life. And if so, guess what? That invitation that you extended, that may be exactly what they needed to go further in their exploration of Jesus. Maybe God is putting someone on your heart and at the same moment, God is putting you on their heart. Maybe what they need to see is the evidence of the power of the love of God at work in your life. And maybe Maybe that, that, that power of the love of God is working in your life, but you're not really good at sharing that or showing that. I get that. You know, you don't want to toot your own horn or tell everybody what you're doing. But, but allowing people to see the love of God at work in your life, it gives them the opportunity to then come to you with questions. And it may just be that God is putting on your heart someone that needs you to extend an invitation so they can take that next step in their exploration of Jesus. And what I want to encourage us to do as a church as we begin this year is all of us to begin praying for someone, one person, someone that we want to see take that next step in their journey of faith. Because you just never know what hangs in the balance of that invitation. You just never know what God is wanting to do in you and through you for someone else. You weren't invited just to be invited. We were all invited to be inviters. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand together. We don't really know um, the rest of Nicodemus' story. We, we, we catch a glimpse here and there through the Gospel of John. But here's what we do know about Nicodemus. He was one of two people who were there at the cross the day Jesus died. On maybe the darkest day, no, I, it was. It was the darkest day in all of human history. When everybody else had left, there were two people standing at the foot of the cross, Nicodemus and a man by the name of Joseph. And together, they lowered the body of Jesus from the cross and they buried him in a nearby tomb. It may be the most loving thing anyone ever did for Jesus. Why? Why would an esteemed Pharisee be standing at the foot of the cross after this rabbi that everybody else wanted dead, that everybody else thought was a pretender? Why was he still standing there after everybody else had walked away? Why? Because Jesus changed his life. Here's the good news, church. Jesus is still changing lives today. Jesus is still changing lives today. And if you believe that, if you really believe that, then don't you want to be a part of what Jesus is doing and changing lives around you? You never know what hangs in the balance of your invitation. So take a chance and just see what God can do. And if you, if, if you make one invitation and it doesn't go where you thought it might, that's okay. Check under a different hat. Look in a different place. See where the Holy Spirit is working. And when you find 
that person in whose life the Holy Spirit is already working. Be ready. Be ready to be used by God to help them as they take step after step after step wherever God is leading them in their journey of faith. This is what we're called to do. We're called to live different in this world. We're called to be the body of Christ. We're called to invite people to come together, to step into the abundant life that Jesus offers. And it's my prayer that we'll have the courage to do just that. Let's sing.